This week on Writers, Inc. What you're doing is you want to tell a story. Forget all the other stuff. Just forget it. Button chair and write. When I teach, I guess that's the word, but I hate to use that word. You know, I tell them I have never been able to edit a blank page. So the most important thing is to write. It can be crap. It does not matter. It's something for your brain to work on. What you want to be is a good storyteller, not a page counter. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and Indie Powerhouse's Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the bestseller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. So, J.D., about an hour ago before we started recording, I turned my fan on and it blew me over and I broke my arm. But I'm here regardless. <laughs> well, good, good to see you show up. I, I know. I, I thought about missing, but, you know, it's just a broken arm. It's not that big of a deal. So I'm here. So... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should let everybody in on the show. Yeah, so J- Jay is on vacation, and I, I forget where he said. I, I tend to tune him out. I know he told me where he was going. I think in the Carolinas somewhere. Yeah, like he's a, yeah, he's some, got, yeah, squatting, like squatting at somebody's house or some. He's at some, the beach. Yeah. yeah. So apparently he was standing in the ocean, and and Jay couldn't <laughs> even do that with without flubbing <laughs> it up, um, and, and somehow he managed to break his foot standing still in the ocean. Um, <laughs> I don't get it. You know, like I shark attack. Sure. Those kind of things happen, you know, but you know, breaking your foot while you are standing still in, in the water. Um, I, I, I just, I honestly, I like, I, I can't even wrap my head around it and I'm not quite sure what to make of it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's probably, you know, in, in jail or doing something totally different. And this is just some cover story. Cause that just doesn't seem plausible. <laughs> I dude, I can't believe you even told the story without laughing. Like it just, it just <laughs> makes me laugh. Everyone I've tried to tell people a story, he got hit by a wave and broke his foot. That was a text I got from him and just a picture <laughs> of his boot. <laughs> it makes me think he's not drinking enough milk. You know, like the bones just aren't as strong as they, they probably should be. He needs more yeah, calcium. It, there's something going on there, like where you where just a, a wave breaks your foot. I mean, come on. Like, you know, <laughs> I guess it knocked him over or something and he like twisted. I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's the thing. Um, like, yeah, how, how does it even happen? But um, yeah, I mean, it, it it did, I think, maybe. I don't he know. also got pooped on by a pelican or something. I don't know if you well, knew that. That, that I get. I I. <laughs> I used to see that all the time when we lived near the beach, like especially when tourists would come down because they would start feeding the seagulls. And, you know, like you feed one and like within like 10 seconds, it looks like you're in a Hitchcock movie because there's 50 of them all around you. And and they get all excited because you've got, you know, Cheez-Its or whatever it is you've got in your, your fanny pack, like that guy you were talking about last week. Um, and they just they start pooping on everything and you can't get rid of them. They will chase you down the beach. They will hunt you down. I've seen them like chase kids and like get them to the point where the kids are like falling face first into the sand, just screaming for mommy. Um yeah, so that happens, but people don't break their foot standing there in the, the shallow <laughs> end of the Jay field. Thorne does. <laughs> <laughs> and and he just so happens to do it the one episode of this show that he misses. Yeah. He breaks his foot so we can make fun of him. <laughs> it's like it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure there's gonna be a Kickstarter or some kind of you know, GoFundMe or, Go, or I was something gonna say to, GoFundMe, yeah. Yeah, to to get Jay back to his normal, you know, almost healthy self, but <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, he was he was going to miss this week anyway, as we mentioned last week, because he's on vacation. But uh, he just gave us an even better story where he's got a big old boot on his foot. And I guess he's just uh, I guess he's just sitting around reading. I told him he's going to have a really weird tan line. So, <laughs> probably with that big boot on his foot. So but but anyways, so uh, so what's going on in publishing news? Uh, it's actually been kind of a big week. I, I don't know how many people are following this closely, but you know, Simon and Schuster and Penguin Random House are, are trying to merge. Um, Penguin Random House is trying to buy Simon and Schuster, and I forget what the dollar amount is, but it's, it's some crazy figure. Um, the Justice Department has stepped in with an antitrust suit, and you know they're they're basically trying to block it. Um, you know, believing that it's going to cut back on competition. Um, and Stephen King testified this week. Um, you know, which is. You know, like it's not something he has to do. I, I seriously doubt they subpoenaed him and forced him to go down there. I think he did it of his own free will. Um, but he went down there and he, he basically testified against the merger, um, which is, is very telling because he's actually a Simon and Schuster author. He's he's got books with them, so he basically testified against his own publisher in this deal, um, which says a lot about the guy. I mean, obviously, like he's in a you know totally different financial position than ninety nine point nine percent of the writers out there. Um, he, he can he can throw his middle finger up to pretty much any one of them and step into another publishing house if he wants to. Uh, but it's it's not a money thing for him. Like he's, you know, he's got friends out there that are on the other end of the spectrum. And it's, I, I wrote down a quote. Um, he, he said, I, I came because I think consolidation is bad for competition. The way the industry has evolved, it becomes tougher and tougher for writers to find money to live on. Um, you know, so that's why he was there. You know, like it, he basically, you know, sort of hurt himself because he's testifying against his own publisher. But, you know, in, in the end, he's basically testifying for the, the rest of us, for us, us little guys out there. Um, because what this means is in the end is when an agent goes out there to submit your book, you know, they create a list of who they're going to bring it to. Um, and if this merger goes through, there's one less name on that, that list. Um, it's one less company that's bidding for your title. Um, you know, so it's just, it's less competition, just like you said. So, you know, if, if you've got four different publishers that want your title and they, they start an auction, they start a bidding war, whatever, whatever happens there. Now all of a sudden there may just, you know, there, there's one less in that mix, which means the author is going to get a little bit less. Agent's going to get a little bit less. The only one who really makes out good in that scenario is, is the publisher um so they're putting whatever spin on it they can but it, it was it was good to see you know somebody at that that level go out there and just kind of call it you know what it is um so i, I that that cheered me up because i, I started the week in a, a bad place <laughs> so the, the george we, we talked about this a little bit off air so the georgia house you know we, we finally wrapped up that renovation um which was a huge renovation i mean it took us about six months or so my wife you know constantly on the phone yelling and screaming at everybody and redoing every inch of this house um finally started renting and a, a rapper apparently rented it for like three days over the weekend to film a rap video and they trashed the house they like literally trash the entire house. There's broken windows, there's broken furniture, a bunch of different things. So she's basically scrambling, trying to repair all this, file insurance claims and, and get it fixed. Because um, meanwhile, there's, you know, there's other people that are coming in behind this group. So she's got to get it done before the next renter shows up. Um, luckily, we're, we're early on in the process. I mean, when you put a house like this out there, you know, like the calendar starts to fill. Um, but, you know, like a year from now, that calendar is going to be full. You know, so like right now we still have a few days before the, the next renters show up. So I, I think she's got, I think she said a week or a week and a half or something to try and get it all back together. But that sucked. Yeah. I mean, that's like I told you when we were talking off air, I was like, I had some questions <laughs> like, like, so d does, does the, does the renter, I mean, uh, 
the the person who came in and filmed that video and did all the damage like do they bear any responsibility for this like well, how does that a, whole thing work yeah so there's basically two big platforms um and you're everybody's going to get an education on real estate i guess right now um there's two platforms when it comes to renting you've got airbnb which is what most people use and there's a, a smaller known one called vrbo which is, is similar um, both of them offer insurance um so basically we have to file you know we document everything that's wrong um that's been damaged we have to file pictures and you know a written description of it we file a complaint with them. In this case, I think it was Airbnb. Um, they've got insurance there to, to cover all of this. So it, it will get fixed. Um, I, from their standpoint, I think they do go after the person who rented it to try and recoup. Um, at the very least, that person will get banned from the platform if they don't cover the expenses, um, because obviously they don't want them doing this to, to somebody else. Um, I think typically what ends up happening, though, in a scenario like this, like they, they they kind of went in knowing what was going to happen. Um, so most likely they used, you know, what we call a shill in order to book the property. So they basically found somebody who's got, you know, four or five, 10, 20 or whatever good reviews on Airbnb. Um, and they booked the property through that person, not necessarily through the person who did the damage. Um, you know, you, it, people that, you know, do things like on this level, like they, they kind of know how to, to, to get around the system. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at with it. I mean, it's one of those things where you just sort of have to, you know, you lick your wounds, you fix it and you just move on. There's not a whole lot you can do about it other than that. Well, I mean, it's just a bummer. Cause I know you guys put in a lot of work in that house and obviously a lot of money and, um, you know, over this time. And, and as you said, on one hand, it's good that it happened now. If it's gonna, if, if it's gonna happen because you don't have someone coming in the very next day, but at the same time, it's like, you guys just got that house up, you yeah. know? So, I mean, I just ha like, as far as getting pictures and stuff, I mean, is she having to go down there? Do you guys have someone there doing that sort of stuff or? No, she's got a full staff pretty much at each of these, these properties. So yeah. in this place, our, our cleaner went in there, the, the woman who basically owns the cleaning company. Um, she documented everything with, with her employees. Her husband happens to be like a, a handyman um, guy and he's done a lot of the work on the house for us, you know, the smaller things like setting up, you know, cameras and stuff like that on the outside and, and things like that. So he went with her and helped out with, with that. Um, the, the only good thing I think that's come out of it is my wife got to know one of the neighbors there who lives across the street from this house. So at least now we have somebody who can pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, there's this going on or there's that going on. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, because this woman actually did notice it. Like she sent some pictures after the fact, you know, there, there was like a million dollars worth of cars sitting in the driveway and you know, there's a Lamborghini out there and, you know, a couple other ones. And like, there's just, there's no reason for those to be there, you know, for our family vacation. Yeah. Um, you know, so like she, she knew enough that there was, you know, that was a red flag to her, but she just didn't know who to call. So at least at this point she, she knows who to call. So we could have put a stop to it. Um, there, there are cameras out there, but they're on the exterior and there's two different driveways for the property and they just happened to park in the other one. So we didn't, you know, see anything out of the ordinary. Um, you know, so it, it happened. We, we learned our lesson and we're going to just kind of clean it up and, and move on. Yeah. I guess it's just something you deal with with this stuff, but yeah, sorry. Sorry. You're going through that, but yeah, no biggie. What's going on with you? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> I, I got back from vacation. I've been selling back in and it's kind of a weird week because my daughter was gone for three weeks and now, um, you know, she came back and then she, goes to school tomorrow as we're recording for like two hours to like drop basically just to drop off school supplies and see her classroom and stuff. But then she starts back Monday full time. So I'm kind of looking forward to that because I'm um, this whole summer has just been weird. It's been, as you know, it's been like a very transitional time for me and there's just been a lot of stuff going on. So I'm, I'm really just chomping at the bit to kind of get back into just a regular routine 
where she's going to school. Like I have all that time blocked out every single day in the morning. And instead of this whole thing where like some days I'm watching her and it's hard to work and, you know, cause she'll run in here every two minutes to like show me something she's drawn or like something she built in Minecraft or whatever. So, um, so yeah, it's, I'm really just kind of, that's really where my head's at. I'm looking forward to that and just being able to, uh, not be so choppy with the projects I'm working on and just have like a full on schedule going on. That's tough. Um, yeah. like my, my, my wife takes a huge amount of that off my shoulders. So, and like yeah. my daughter has been conditioned basically from the moment she started walking, if dad's door is closed, you know, you, you don't go in there. Um, you know, so like I, I get my writing time and I, you know, the peace and quiet and like, I'm so spoiled when it comes to that. Um, uh, but my wife is, you know, she's trying to run the, the rental business. Um, she's, you know, trying to, to make it as a writer uh, on her own. She's got an agent, she's got a book that's been finished for a while and she's doing some edits on that. So she's trying to do that while juggling our daughter. Um, so I told totally get it and you know like she tried getting up uh, the other morning at 4 30 because she was getting up at five and she would write for you know like an hour or so in the morning um get her workout in and stuff like that but my daughter just started getting up earlier and earlier like for some reason like she was up at 5 30 the other morning and she was up at five um so the, two nights ago my wife got up at 4 30 she's like i'm gonna beat her <laughs> and she got it she got her workout in but my daughter was still up at 5 30 and then my wife was dragging you know dragging ass by like eight o'clock that night because she'd been up for so long so she's trying to figure out how to make all that work she actually found a local place where they've got um it's like an indoor playground for kids where they've got people that will babysit your kid um and then basically on the other side of a, a giant window you know where you can watch them there's an office space um so oh you can that's sit cool. down yeah and I, I think she said it was 12 dollars an hour so they basically babysit your kid and you've got a, a private space where you can you know knock out some work if you want to do that so i think she's going to try that next um but she's she's having a tough time with it because our daughter's starting kindergarten at the end of the month and she just she wants yeah. to milk everyone you know every day that's left and spend as much time with her as possible um without, you know, compromising these other things that she's got to do. So it's, it's tricky, you know, as, as a parent, I just, I'm, I'm spoiled and I feel for you. I understand how, how tricky that is. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's, it's funny when you talk to, like when I talk to my friends who work at home and have kids, you know, but work like I would say, quote unquote, regular jobs, they're like, well, how come you can't get work done? And it's, it's hard for them to understand like that. It's, it's hard to get like in a creative space with when you're writing a book or whatever. And then with the, even, even like my daughter's pretty, she's eight now. So like, she's pretty good about not coming in here if I ask her, but I still know in the back of my mind, she could at any moment. And it's just, it's just hard to, and then you feel guilty. Cause kind of like you were saying, you know, I haven't seen her in three weeks. So like this week, I didn't even work Monday or Tuesday just cause I wanted to hang out with her, you know, cause she'd been gone and I kind of want to take advantage of this time and stuff, you know, before she goes back to school and, and all that. But yeah, it's, it's very hard when you're doing creative work like this, you know, it's different if you're just entering stuff on a spreadsheet or whatever, you know, but, uh, yeah. I read one time that it takes 15 minutes to get back into your, yeah, your mindset. It, yeah. yeah. So if you're, yeah. you know, you're doing something creative, like you know, something interrupts you and it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be an email coming in or, you know, in my case, somebody, you know, pulling up in our driveway and I see it out the window or whatever, but yeah, 15 minutes for your brain to get back into that, that creative space again. So what about you? What you got going on? Uh, I'm, I'm working on a new book. Um, I'm, I think at the 35,000 word mark right now, this is the one that I've been working on with the outline. Um, it's, it's going good. I basically have one section of the book that's not outlined. Um, and probably 80% of it is. Um, so it's basically just a point of view that, that I didn't put in the original draft of my outline that I'm, I'm do, going with, with the, the book. Um, but it's, it's flowing well, you know, like I'm, I'm coming right back to the outline after I finish up those sections and it's all working, you know, really good. I'm really hoping to wrap this one up at, at the 80,000 word count. Um, we'll, we'll see if I can actually pull that off. I've never been able to do that before. I'm always a hundred something, um, but we'll, we'll see, but it's, it's going smooth. 
That's interesting because I'm I, I I'm very much like an underwriter. Um, I, I know um, I, I feel like most writers on their first draft specifically tend to overwrite. Um, I always find myself coming under and then adding during edits. I don't know. I, I think because I I usually am really trim on my descriptions and stuff when I'm when I'm first drafting and then try to come back in and kind of flower that stuff up in my edits. So it's it's uh, I don't know. It's it's I'm different in that way. I guess. Yeah, it's um, there, there's a lot of authors that work that way, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's it's actually a very fast way to, to write a book because you basically you create your your framework, and then you go back in and you add the meat. So you you add the descriptions of clothing, the you know the descriptions of locations, you know, a little flowery language, get your dialogue straight because at the time, you know by the time you finish the end of the book, you know what your characters, you know, you know who they are, you know how they speak, um, so you can make sure that that can, that's consistent throughout the book. So like it, it makes total sense to to write a book that way. I'm just not that guy. Um, I've always kind of overwrote a little bit on, on the first draft and I always try to think of it as like a, a big piece of steak. And when I go back through and I do my edits, you know, my, I'm, I'm basically just trimming that fat away and just getting it down to the leanest piece of meat I, I possibly can. Um, it's always worked for me, but just like anything else in this business, you got to figure out what works for you. You know, everybody's just so different. Just try everything. And, and sooner or later you find something that, that, that fits. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That's one thing I've learned from being in this for a while now is, you know, everybody has their own way of working and stuff and there's no right or wrong way to do things. So, yeah. All right. Well, before we uh, talk about our guest today, of course, we want to give a shout out to our good friends over at Kobo. Um, Kobo Writing Life empowers you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands. You set your own price and you can take advantage of their monthly promotional opportunities and you can do all of it without any exclusivity agreements. So if you're publishing wide, you definitely need to be on Cobra Writing Life. So get started today over at CobraWritingLife.com. And with that, JD, who's our guest today? All right, this one's going to be fun. Um, this woman's a, a freaking firecracker. I don't know how how else to describe her. Um, her name's Catherine Calder. Um, she's she's not, uh, she's a number one New York Times bestseller. She's got eighty eight books out there. Um, you know, she's been doing this for for a very long time. Her latest is called The Reckoning, and it released on August second. So here she is, Catherine Calder. Catherine, is it true that you could really fight in Napoleon's army? Yeah, I could because I I know what to do to 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 beat. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't want to be in Napoleon's army. I take that back. I want to be with Wellington because <laughs> I know how to kick Napoleon's butt for sure. Uh, After the fact, you know, if yeah. you read enough, you go, well, you should have done this. You should have done that. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon. Did had you had a, a fascination with history uh, from a young age, or was that something you discovered in college? No, young age, mm. young age. There's a, a, a series, and it was done a long time ago, Will Durant, History of Civilization, and absolutely fantastic, and takes you all the way through everything up to Mars, just about. Well, not quite, but yeah, I, I've always been fascinated. And it's interesting because people's minds, you know, were all different. But when I picture history, I picture it going back in my mind. And my mind has benchmarks of dates, you know. So, and every everybody's different. What what you when you think about history in the past, how does it appear in your mind? It's a timeline. It's funny you mentioned that uh, because I studied colonial American history and I, I I got a BA in history, 
And mm-hmm. every time I visualize it, it's the same way. It's like I, I see this timeline and then I see events. Is it going backwards? It. Yes, yes. Is it going back? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Then you're the second person I have ever met who does that. Really? Really, totally, totally true. And I thought, boy, are you really screwed up. <laughs> so I've got a doubt. Twins screwed up. This is good. <laughs> Well, let's let's get into, into a little bit more of the present stuff. You have a, a new book out called Reckoning, a uh, fantastic thriller, uh, FBI thriller. Uh, tell us about a, Tell us about the premise. Tell us about the book. Well, it just it just got the idea. I guess we had seen um, a Mandarian on 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 Roku, and because the name Mandarin came to my mind, I said, "Do I dare?" <laughs> <laughs> or is the editor going to call me up shrieking? Well, no, nobody said a word. Uh, so I had her name in my mind. And and then I was asked some time ago if you're a, a plotzer or a pantser. And I'd never even heard that before in my life. Well, I'm a pantser. You know, I don't know what's going to happen from chapter to chapter. There's a, maybe a general idea, but maybe not. <laughs> So Kira is uh she she, she has a as she did you read the book? Yes. Great. I don't well, want to give any spoilers bad, too. <laughs> okay. Well she had a bad time at the beginning. Yes. And I love the fact that she goes to Australia and lives mm-hmm. there and, and, and learns the culture and everything like that. And uh Griffin Hammersmith is a he's appeared in in many of the books. He's Mr. Drop Dead Gorgeous, and he's the only character like that. And uh, he's always often on women, you know, and he's very, he, he's not, you know, he's always taken aback. He's like, what, what? <laughs> so she, she plays him perfectly, perfectly. And so this is the first time I've even, I think I've had sex in a book in forever since like book two or something or book one but i just it just said he had to have it okay (laughs) (laughs) and then we have so much crap going on so can i say crap yes you absolutely can crap is good uh there are other things too but we will be very restrained um and then the other the other one is Emma Hunt was brought back really by popular demand. She first appeared at six years old in The Target, which was the third book. And then everybody fell in love with her, the whole family. And uh, so then they reappeared five years later in Backfire. And Emma is a a piano prodigy. And uh, so then popular demand, they wanted her back. So I, I really mixed it up. It was fun to bring those characters back. And yeah. you go back and forth, you know, usually I do the two plots and you go back mm-hmm. and forth. Sometimes they connect, sometimes they don't, you know, it just depends. Mm. And how do the settings factor into the story? I, you know, whether it's Australia or, or Virginia, I'm always fascinated by why authors make decisions on, on the locations of where these stories are taking place. Oh, mine is really simple. Uh, they're in Washington, D.C., so if I take them somewhere, then you have to factor in plane time. What are you going to do in the freaking airplane? And, and I had to do it in this one because they had to go to Las Vegas. 
And, you know, you have to, so that's really a difficult thing to do is, is deal with these distances. Uh, I can deal with San Francisco because that's where her parents live. And that's where Emma's parents, that's where Emma lives as well. But otherwise I keep it close by and usually it's Virginia or Delaware, you know, and, and that's why it's a very simple reason. That's smart. You know, yeah, <laughs> distance and time factoring, it, it becomes a real pain. Yeah. And what's that cup in the back? It's white and it says, to my... Oh, that's uh, Café Dumont. That's from uh, French Market, New Orleans. Yeah, oh, got you. <laughs> oh, boy. And you walk out of there white. It's just... Yes. <laughs> and you need to wear white to go in. I've worn black before. And it's just, uh, lady, you have really bad dandruff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the coffee there, uh, the, the chicory coffee at, 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 at the French market is great. I just love it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing that the beignets are just, ah, oh, and your thighs pulse, just, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is, uh, Reckoning is book 26. Now, if I have 26 items on a grocery list, I get confused. How do you keep track of every book in the series and, and where you've been and where characters have been and where they haven't? Do you have a system for that? No. <laughs> so sometimes you're royal, you royally screw yourself. Um, <laughs> it's so funny because when this whole thing started, the very first book, The Cove, was a standalone. You know, my sister... Um, it, it was in 1995, a thousand years ago, antediluvian nearly. And uh, it was back in Texas. And she just walks up to me. She'd never done this before. And she hasn't since. And she said, have you ever heard of a little town on the coast of Oregon called the Cove? They make the world's greatest ice cream and bad stuff happens. And I just went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'd written like nine I call them hystericals, uh, you know, historical romances. And they all, my writing always has mysteries in them because I think it's your, it's a brain set, you know, and they just, humor and mysteries are kind of the, the trademarks of any book I ever do. Um, not all, not all. So uh, when I finished that book, then they said, the publisher said, well, okay, when's the next one? And I said, well, it's, it's I hadn't thought of this. And they said, oh, well, please, we want the next one. And so I kid you not. And this has happened to friends of mine who are writers. A voice in the back of my head said, what about me, Catherine? And it was savage. And uh, then book two was really about Sherlock. And then that's when they get together. They get married off stage and all that kind of, because these are, you know, suspense thrillers. So that has to be at the core of everything. And then you can have whatever around it. You can have romance, you can have travel, you can have woo-woo. I love to do woo-woo. Uh, some readers love woo-woo, others bleh. So, you know, maybe every four or five books I, I dive into woo-woo. Uh, but you can do anything, but at that core has to be this gnarly knot that you have to unravel. So um, that's why a lot of stuff is done like if you're going to have a kid, you do it off camera because we really don't want to do that on camera. All right. Um, so what was I saying? You really got me confused. What are we doing? <laughs> I was asking you, how, you keep, <laughs> Where's how, my how you keep track of everything. Like it's all, it, oh, all the series information. So yeah. what happened was, is it was going to be a series, but I'd never done a series before. 
And of course I didn't write anything down. So Sherlock has blue eyes, she has green eyes, she's tall, she's petite. Savage had blue eyes, um, you know, he had the, the, the dark eyes. So unfortunately, there is a little confusion, you know, from book to book. And then I finally got them together in terms of what they look like, at least what they look like. But it's um, it's difficult and readers will say, well, are you going to bring back the people from Backfire or not Backfire, but Double Jeopardy? And I have trouble remembering who they were because they didn't make enough of an impact to automatically be floating there to bring back. So it's um, it's it's really happenstance and readers will will say stuff like we really like blah, 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 and do this and do that. And uh, so if somebody really wants Emma Hunt, who's the prodigy, she's a fantastic little girl. She's now 12. And uh, so she's always percolating in the back. So that's why it was pretty easy to bring her back, although I had no idea what was going to happen. So that's kind of always the challenge. You never, because you're always backward buildup, we call it. Uh, because once you get something on the page, then your brain works on it. And then you and then you say you like that direction that you're going. So then you have to go back and make changes. So it's always going back and editing. And But I can't do it the other way. Mm -hmm. So it, it it works. I did have an outline for the book I just started. But it's already falling by the wayside because you come up with, with good ideas that you never would have thought of. Mm. So you can't ever be tied to an outline ever, ever, ever. And some people are. I had this weird vis visual of you uh, almost in a family reunion style setting, except it's instead of your family, it's your characters in your books. And, and you're walking around and, and some of them are talking to you. Some of them, you know, really well. Some of them are distant relatives i don't know i just had this, I, I just had that kind of image just popped into my head i don't know why <laughs> oh uh, cousin four times removed right yes. yeah go away you're you're messing things up you know yeah some of some of those some of those characters you know intimately and others you you've forgotten about so that, i've forgotten uh, about yeah and that's true that's true yeah and i i don't go back and reread and i probably oh. should just to get my brain back on track right Right. Well, you talked about uh, sort of, um, let's get into your process a little bit. You talked about sort of the, the process of cycling back and, and uh, letting your brain sort of work in the background as you're, as you're working on things. What does your drafting process look like? Where do you do it? When do you do it? How often do you do it? Drafting? Yeah, like the first words, like the first, the first oh, draft. Oh, well, I'm in Karen's office right now. Uh, and you can see she kind of we did we got rid of maybe 2000 books in here because the floor was threatening to oh, fall. in. Oh, my goodness. So but we're not in my office because my computer is just a PC. I don't want it on the Internet. Uh, so that's why I'm in her office. But in my office, uh, as I say, I get down there every morning except Saturday and Sunday, unless there's a deadline. And then I can do anything anywhere in a closet. I don't care. Um, and I work until about um, 1030. And uh, that's just because I'm an elder now. And so I, <laughs> uh, you know, I've really slowed down. It, at one time I was doing three and four books a year. Mm. And then it went to three. And then the, the last years I was doing one historical romance. 
in one suspense thriller, which was a wonderful, wonderful thing because there are two very disparate genres, as you can imagine. And what it does is it keeps your brain uh, unconstipated. And, uh, you know, and it keeps it moving and, and everything is good. And then that became too much. So I went down to one book a year and then I started doing novellas once a year. I've never done one, but now the sixth one is coming out in October and it's off a character that appeared in one of the series, a Regency series. So that really worked well. And then, uh, so that's, that's why I'm at right now. Just the one book a year. Right, right. One novel if I can do it. And it's got woo-woo. It's got woo-woo. All right. Some reason <laughs> yeah, it's otherworldly stuff. It's wonderful <laughs> with demons and and succubi. And, oh, it's wonderful. And ghosts. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, is it a, is for you, is it a matter of just, you know, putting your butt in the chair at that time every day and just showing up or do you have like a word count target or a page count target? No, no, no. I I think people who think that way should not. Hmm. What you're doing is you want to tell a story, forget all the other stuff, just forget it, button chair and write. And, uh, when I, when I teach, I guess that's the word, but I hate to use that word. You know, I tell them I have never been able to edit a blank page. So the most important thing is to write. It can be crap. It does not matter. It's something for your brain to work on. And you're you're thinking about, you're tossing this idea. No, no, that sucks. But how about this? Okay, that's possible. And then when you sit down the next morning, you're ready to work on that what you have already written. So uh, you just write and, and don't worry about anything. It's just, you're telling a story. What you want to be is a good storyteller, not a count counter. A page <laughs> Come on people. And that, that worries me too, because there are so many people who want to get published and people published writers, they can have published one book on Amazon. And they're teaching a class and they're telling the people now on page 200, you need to have done this. And and people are writing like this furiously. No, 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 no. Just stop it. Stop it. Just button chair. Right. Love. I love that. I love that. It's uh, it's succinct. And uh, and I, I wanted to ask you, too, about where this started for you. I, if I have my research correct, you you had said at one point you were reading a book um uh, and you threw it across the room and said, I can do better. <laughs> and that's kind of how it all started. And, and you, I think you even said about 60% of writers, you guess, probably start this way. Is that, is that what I know. I was you? so disappointed when I found that out because I thought it was unique. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, that, that happened. My husband was in medical school and uh, would see each other about 30 minutes a night over spaghetti because that was my dish. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I just read like a fool. And uh, I don't even remember what the book was that I tossed, but I'll never forget. I just went in. My husband was studying. I went and I said, I want to write a book. And he grinned. He said, let's do it. And uh, I cannot tell you, I don't think you'd hear this anymore. But I used to hear women say, oh, well, my husband won't let me. Or my husband told me I couldn't do it. I'd be a failure. And I said, well, did you shoot him? <laughs> I mean, appropriate response. Oh, oh, come on. But he was always uh, he was always right there. 
Yeah. In fact, and I plotted that first book, and that was the first and last one. Wow, wow, that's amazing. so you plotted yeah. the first book, and then and then that was it after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. Uh, you, I, it I kind I, of turned on a button. It seems that way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How does um, how did your your time writing speeches help you in your novel writing? They're they're two very different things, and in fact. The only crossover, but this would be true with anything. This would be true of a speech I'm giving or a speech that I'm writing for somebody else or a book is that the, the big thing is humor. Um, humor. <laughs> and I don't put mysteries in speeches. So, <laughs> But uh, that, that's probably the only crossover, you know, because again, they're very, very different. But always the, the, the guy who... Uh, I interviewed with, it was on Wall Street, and he was just kind of desiccated little old guy, okay? I mean, he was an actuary from the year one, <laughs> and he was the president of the company. And, you know, you say actuarial, and everybody's eyes just glaze, minded too. And he said, he said, I'm asked to speak so much, and he said, I don't know why, because I'm not any good. <laughs> and then he said... He said, can you make me funny? And I said, you got it. So, so it worked out very well. It worked out very He couldn't, sometimes he couldn't get the timing down. But he, he got it out there, got it out there. So how do you make someone funny? That seems like an impossible task. You have to know them. You have to know the material and you have to be able to mock the material. Uh, and again, when it's actuarial, you can nearly mock every freaking sentence you know, <laughs> to keep people from going to sleep. You've got to do something, right? And I can see why he was asked because people could just nap while he was talking <laughs> because it's so boring. Uh, so you kind of clue off what's the, the content, you know, mm. of what you're of what you're writing for him. Now, how can we make that funny? And that's always the question, how to make this funny. In fact, my newsletters, you know, I do one a month and they are funny and I'll write a sentence and then I'll say, Karen, because she's my right and left hand, of, you know, and half my brain. I say, OK, we got to make it funny. And we will. You know, you just you just switch this around or blah, blah, blah. And, and it's really not it's not that difficult. And poor, she's very she's brilliant and she's very I guess we have very good synergism going, you know. And we've been together more than any married couple I know. <laughs> well, you know, I've I've sensed even in our short conversation, you you seem to be very disciplined in many aspects of your life, from uh, from writing uh, to your you know approach to social media, your newsletter. Uh, you've been you you're very disciplined on Facebook. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do on Facebook for your readers and how you engage with them there? Well, in terms of of discipline. You know, everybody has talents and everybody I would hope would want to develop their talents, whatever it is. If you don't have discipline, hang it up and leave the state. I mean, so it, it's not specific to writing, but if you're not disciplined in writing, forget about it. I don't even want to talk to you. Uh, in terms of Facebook, the way it's evolved over the years is there are maybe 60 to 70 people, I'd say probably 60% women and 40% men. 
and I've kind of turned into the center of the wheel and I'm kind of the community center and I bring everybody together. They respond to me and then they get to know each other. And there are so friendships have been made because everybody I'll post and then I'll get all these replies and you'll see people answering each other. Catherine said this about that. And what are you doing with your husband? And blah, blah. I mean, it's amazing. And and I feel blessed because I'll never forget one one woman. I said in my post, has anybody heard from Shell, Michelle? Shell, I haven't I haven't seen a post from her in three or four days. She emailed me on my private account, not my private account, my fan account, um, the next day and said, this is what's going on. Sorry, I haven't been posting. So they, the people who knew her and had become friends with her got in touch with her to say Catherine is concerned. So call her. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and I would, you know, I, when I go off the planet on vacation, there's no... Facebook, or I do it rarely. You know, I just forget about it. It's gone because you, you're you're focused on something else. And um, people are just so phenomenal. The only two things: there are no politics, and there's no religion on that page. And I'll never forget a new person came on and made some sort of little political illusion, and there were like ten answers saying, "Catherine doesn't want politics. Don't do politics." Don't. <laughs> So it, it's it's an amazing group, and I feel very very blessed about that. And it's impressive that it's so cohesive, given that you know you have a, a, a huge back catalog of historical romance and thrillers, and and you and yet all these these folks all come together in one place. I think that's really a credit to you. Well, I think again, if you're doing something every day, if you just spot in like once a week, it's never going to work. But if you want to get people who get to know you and get to know you, they always know what I'm doing. And of course, I, I'm always pushing exercise. Um, what was I going to tell you? Oh, yeah. In terms of the hystericals, as I call them, the historicals, uh, everybody, women readers are about 85% of retail purchase. And one thing women do, if they like you, they follow you. You could write anything and they'll follow you and give you a chance. Men don't do that. Men do not do that. Men are mo are much more, I have just found over the years, are much more like this, right? Whereas women are just, if they like you, anything you do, anything you do. So all the historical readers have followed through and they'll talk about historical novels. Have you read this one? Or did you, oh, they, look, and then uh, uh, BookBub and, and all these other things will put, and the publisher will put a book up for $1.99 or $2.99 for a couple of days. And then the fans will talk about that. Oh yeah, I really like that one and blah, 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 blah. So it's um, it's a great network for them, particularly them. Fantastic. I would- I yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I'd love to wrap up with a a fun question for you. Uh, you it, it's a it's an easy one. Uh, what are you most excited about today? Most excited about today. Today, well, this evening is the last number eight on Reacher series, <laughs> so we're gonna see it all come to an end. Uh, 
I read that, you know, I really like Lee Child and I like the Jack Reacher books. They they followed one book, but they brought in a lot of other stuff. And as a writer, they should have made it two episodes, only six episodes, because it was too stretched out. But yeah, I'm really excited about that. And uh, today, uh, we hike every day. Started up with COVID, never stopped. So I bug everybody on Facebook, hike, 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 work, work, get that body. Anyway, uh, we're doing an extra difficult one today. So I don't know that I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's kind of straight up. So we'll see. All right. Well, I have to say, um, you said she was a firecracker and uh, you weren't kidding. <laughs> She's just full of charisma and personality. And um, I'll tell you one thing. I definitely want to be sitting at Cafe Du Monde now and having some beignets and some chicory coffee. <laughs> well, she's she's clearly very observant because she figured out just how screwed up Jay was like in the first three minutes of that phone yeah. call. <laughs> I was thinking the you same know, so, thing. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she's spot on. Nothing nothing slips past her. Um, I've never been to that place, but yeah, I'm jonesing for, for, for Oh, it's so too. good. And, and, and as she said, don't wear a black t-shirt. Wear a white t-shirt because you're going to get the powder all over you from the beignets. So... <laughs> Um, she mentioned that this was the first time she put sex in a book since her, her first. Um, so I was curious, like, do you put sex in your books? Like, do you, does that happen with your characters or are they too busy just fighting off zombies and don't have time? <laughs> it, so it's in there, but it's not, um, if I do have it, it's not like explicit and described. Um, I've done that before and I got some blowback for it because people just in my genre didn't, don't necessarily, um, care about that. So I'm really careful about how much of it I describe. Um, but I mean, I definitely have characters like hooking up and stuff and getting together in my books and having relations as it were, but, um, I have to be in my genre, be a little bit careful about it. Uh, what about you? Um, well, the reason I'm asking is that the book that I'm working on now, it's, it's got a lot of, of sex in it, um, to the okay. point where like I, I researched what I could get away with and what I couldn't just to, oh, to wow. avoid certain ratings. And, you know, I don't want to get flagged by, you know, Amazon bots or something that, that search for that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done it both ways. I've had closed door, you know, and in this case, it's right out in front. It's a big part of the storyline, um, which is why I wanted to be careful with it. But I just I feel that it's one of those things, if, if you're going to do it, you know, you obviously need to do it right. And I, I don't think you can shy away from it. I think you just need to research, you know, the, the language that's used. You know, there, there's so many different books out there that have done it well. Um, you know, there, there's, you know, pick up a couple of them, read them, figure out how to do it. Um, I'm borrowing heavily from a lot of, you know, some of the bigger name romance authors on this one, even though it's a straight up thriller. Well, that's, an, I, I think you also pointed out a really big point is like, it, it sounds like from the book you're writing, it is essential to the plot to have this. So, um, you know, in my cases, it's just always been kind of like a side store, a side thing. And it's part, it's just part of, you know, the national, the natural, natural relationship building that you have go on when you're telling a story, especially in a, over a long series or whatever. And I think that was part of it too, is when I did have, um, a sex scene, like in the current series I'm working on, it, it was like in book three or four or something like that. So like it, I had to be really careful with it then because I feel like if I would have had it in the first book, you know, people would have been used to it, but coming out of nowhere, it could be kind of weird. But I think as you said, um, having, having it happen as like a big part of the story is really crucial. So 
Yeah. I mean, what you just mentioned is important too. Like I've, I've done it before in other books, you know, so it's not something my fans are going to read and be like, oh my God, I can't believe he's going here because I've gone there before. Um, you know, so that's, that, that definitely helps. Um, she brought up something else I think a lot of people don't think about, but that's the the locations of her, her characters and the story itself. Like her, her, for the most part, her books take place in Washington, D.C. Um, this one, there's some traveling involved, which is, you know, it's a very tricky thing. You know, like for me, like when I write, you know, I use Scrivener, um, every chapter that I write, I I, I write the name of the, the POV character um, as part of the subject line, so I know who it is. Um, and I also time and date stamp it. You know, I pick a certain time of the year. You know, my stories happen in September or whatever. Um, so I make sure I've got a date um, and I put a time stamp in there because I like to know exactly how much time is passing between each individual scene. Um, particularly, you know, most of my thrillers tend to take place over, you know, three, four days, you know, a very short amount of time, which is one of the reasons why I do that. Um, but a lot of times, you know, when you, when you are doing that and you've got characters that are traveling, you know, if they leave New York and they go to California, you've got to account for that, that flight time, you know, somehow. Um, and that's a lot trickier to do than I think most people realize. Um, so yeah, I was glad that she brought that up. Is that something you, do you have to deal with that at all? Uh, I'm like you where I usually, um, where I'm usually try to keep things really close together. I try to have my stories take place only over like several days, not weeks or months or whatever. Um, so I, I'm much like her. I kind of, I'm very conscious of that and try to, uh, um, try to be careful. And I, I mean, even right now, like, um, you know, there's a project I'm working on that you and I have talked about off air that, that is like, does have traveling and stuff involved. And it's kind of given me a headache a little bit just cause I'm not, I'm not used to thinking about that stuff. Cause I'm like you, I like to go in and on each scene, I typically have for every scene, I have the POV, I have, what day it is in the story. So I don't necessarily have a date, but I'll have like day one, day two, day three, what time of day it is. And then the location. And on this particular project, it's definitely kind of throwing me a little bit. Cause I'm having to think about different travel times and jumping around a little bit more. And it's, it's definitely a little tricky. Well, it's weird because I think a lot of people don't think about this either, but like travel in general for your characters, it, it can be used as a, a pacing thing. Um, you know, like where, where your characters, if they, if they hop in a car and they're, you know, they're driving from this point to this point, like it, it literally makes it feel like the book is picking up speed, you know, rather than, you know, them sitting in, a, in the same room throughout the entire story. So like one of my favorite books um, that, that does that sort of thing is called TikTok by, by Dean Koontz. Um, everybody knows I'm a big Koontz fan. Yeah. Um, the, the whole book, they're, they're just running around like they, they're not in the same place for like more than three minutes at a time it's just going from here to here to here to here and like just the fact that they're doing it it, it, it creates that urgency uh, in the reader's mind as they're going through the story and it just it really adds to you know the, the overall storytelling process um so yeah that that's a great book to pick up to, to try and figure out that sort of thing yeah there i mean like the traveling type stories like that are some of my favorite stories so um, that is one thing that's definitely got me excited to uh, jump into writing a project like that. Um, and another thing I, I wanted to bring up and I kind of want to ask you about that she mentioned was uh, uh, Jay had asked her about uh, how she'd written a long series and does she keep track of things like where characters are and all that stuff. Um, and she said no. And I know that's something I'm bad about. Um, I've gotten better as I've written, as I've come along and I, I like going into dead South, I knew this book was going to be like, or the series is going to be eight or nine books. So I knew I had to keep better track of it where people were and, um, you know, names of, of even like minor characters that are barely in there. So I don't repeat them. Uh, you know, what, what, um, it, what like 
characters are carrying on their person and stuff like that. Um, but even as a series gone on, it's easy to get, for me, it's easy to kind of lose track of that and get lazy. Um, I know you haven't written a like really long series. I mean, I think fourth monkey might be the most books you have in one series, if I'm correct. Um, but like, do you have a system for that? Yeah. And again, I, I go back to Scrivener. Um, you know, so yeah. with fourth monkey, like I, I wrote books in between those. So there's three books in the series, but I wrote one or two books in between each of the books in the series. So I had to go back and figure out you know, where I left everybody and, and that kind of thing. Um, so with Scrivener, I, I'm very careful to make sure I create a character sketch for every single person that's in the book, even if it's, you know, just somebody that's at the checkout counter that I, I just happened to mention. Um, if I name them something, then I, I make sure I create a character sketch. Um, I try to throw a picture in there. So a lot of times I'll just hop on Google images and just pick somebody at random that kind of fits the the image that I've got in my head. And I put that in there too, just to avoid what she had mentioned, you know, like getting the hair color wrong, getting the eye color wrong, you know, those, those simple things that readers will pick up on. Um, and the nice thing about doing it in Scrivener is when I start a new book in the series, I can go in and just do a quick copy and paste of those character sketches and bring them into the new project. Um, so I'm just constantly building on those, those original ones. I've got no idea how she got 26 books into a series without actually doing anything like that. And I can only imagine yeah. that there's, there's a lot of flubs. Um, yeah, the book that I just finished with with Patterson, um, it, there, there was a character there that we actually killed twice in there. And like Jim and I didn't notice it. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just it was literally it was like a throwaway name. So we just kind of used the same name twice. Um, oh, yeah. But like Jim and I didn't notice it. The editor didn't notice it. The copy editor didn't, didn't notice it. The person who actually noticed it was the guy who can't stand up in the ocean, Jay Thorne. Um, I, I sent, I sent, I sent him a copy of it and he shot me an email. I was like, Hey, did you know you killed this guy twice? I'm like, what? Oh, what was his name? Tim, the character. <laughs> it was not, it was <laughs> not named you, Tim. Now when you, uh, just, I, I don't want to stay on this too long, but when you, you were talking about fourth monkey, did you write all those books in the same Scrivener file or do you have different files for each book? No, I always start a, a brand new Scrivener file okay. when I do it, um, because there's a lot of characters that don't make the next book. Um, you know, so this way, if I do that, I, I start with a nice clean file. I just grab a couple of characters or a couple of locations. You know, I, could, I do the same thing for places. You know, so if I describe that's a character's right. apartment, um, you know, like there's a, a, a location sketch that's in Scrivener. So I just I pull all that kind of stuff in the repetitive things. See, I have I have uh, one file for Dead South with every book in it. And I when I'm done with a book, I have a folder I made called Manuscripts. And I have an individual folder for each one of those books. I drop the old one in and then I start my new, whatever the next book is, in the draft folder at the top. So that way I have like all my research and notes I've taken for the whole series as I'm going. So that was something I did different with uh when I started Dead South, so I could keep everything together in one file and in one program. Yeah, so. I mean Scrivener in general. I mean, there's it's like anything else. You can you can use it in so many different ways. Um, but I, I I know authors who write exclusively in Word, um, and I, yeah. I imagine Catherine is probably one of them. You know, the, the authors that have been around for a while. That's how they tend to operate. Um, I can't imagine keeping this kind of thing straight in that. Me you know, either. like even like when I was writing the third four MK book, like I had the Scrivener file for the second book open on another monitor. You know, so I could quickly do a search if I needed to figure something out. You know, because I had to close up a lot of the the, the threads in, in that final book. Um, it's, it's nice to be able to search that and find it really easily. And an award document is just not user-friendly when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. There was, there was another thing she brought up that I, I wanted to, uh, mention because this has actually been something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And actually it's funny when, um, when Jay was on the, the way to breaking his foot, when he was in the car making that trip, um, we talked on the phone for like an hour and this was one of the things we talked about was, 
um, she mentioned the idea of just gaining a chair and writing every day and not worrying about word counts. Like I will say, you know, one thing, especially coming up on the indie side of it, as I did, um, you know, you get caught up in all these writer groups where everybody's chasing word counts and they're doing this and that. I, honestly, that's gotten to the point of me where it just overwhelms me. And I've really been trying, I've been spending a lot of, um, not a lot of time, but I've really been focusing and changing my mindset over the last year or so where I just don't worry about that stuff. And I just get I, like, for me, it's about getting in the chair every day and, and just working and make and pushing the pencil forward a little bit and just making, if I know I'm making progress, it's it, for my mental clarity, it's just been so much better instead of like chasing word counts or trying to write a certain amount of pages a day or anything. Um, so I really loved like just hearing her, very adamantly be like, do not worry about that stuff. Just get your butt in the chair and write. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird thing. I mean, if you're working the full time job and you're trying to squeeze a novel out in your lunch hour and before work and after work and those kind of things, um, I, I think it's good to have some kind of you know count in mind. Like, yes. and it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, like two to three hundred words a day is it, you will finish that novel in a year. Um, so that's a simple way to look at it. I, I've done a lot of projects where I'm under a, a fairly strict deadline. Um, so for me, it's it's very helpful to know you know roughly how long that book is going to be, how many words I need to write every day in order to hit that target. Um, I know how long my editing process is going to take if I have an idea, you know, if I have those couple of factors in, in my head. Um, I, I like benchmarks. Um, and again, everybody is, is totally different. Yes. You know, I, Dan Brown is over at his house right now working on his latest book. And I, I couldn't tell you how many years it's been since his last one. Um, and, you know, he might be done next week. He might be done in three years, but he's going to be done with that book when he feels the book itself is done. And, you know, he may write a sentence a day. He may, you know, write 10 pages in a day. It's just, it, it's all for him. It's just all about the story and just making sure he gets that story down. Um, and that that's important too. I mean, there, you don't want to force yourself to get in the chair to get a thousand words or 2000 words every day. Um, if those words are, are garbage, you know, and a lot of people will do that, you know, they'll, they'll get three, 400 good words and then they just keep going because their word count target is a thousand. So they'll add another 700 and then take them out the next day. Um, Again, just got to figure that into your process and figure out what works. I mean, the one thing that she said, and I think it was roughly about the same time, she mentioned you can't edit a blank page. Yeah. Um, you know, that's it, it should be on a coffee mug, I think, somewhere if it's not already. Yeah. I mean, it, that that's huge. I mean, even if you are writing garbage words, at least you are putting words down on paper. So get your butt in the chair, get something down on that, that screen. And I, I personally feel you need to do it every day in order to stay sharp. Uh, but not everybody's the same, you know. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like, I think there are... Like for certain people, it definitely works. And it worked for me for a long time. Like you brought up two instances. Like when I was working a full-time job, I had to do that. Like I needed to have that real structure and discipline. And um, also if you're on a deadline, I think that's super important. You know, I, for the, the, the main project I'm working on right now, you know, on Dead South, it's just kind of a thing where um, I, I've had to tell myself like, look, I know readers are waiting on this, but I don't, I don't, I know it's going to be a better story if I put a little bit less pressure on myself, you know? Um, so on that particular project, it's, it's, it's better for me. So. Yeah. I mean, and Frank, frankly, the better story is, is a lot more important than just rushing it out. You know, like it, you can create all the content you want, but if it's not good content, people aren't going to come back. You know, if you, if you take a lot longer, but you get that book perfect, you know, they're, they're going to come back for the next one, even if it does take you four or five years to get it done. But, uh, but Catherine was great. That was, uh, J Jay did a great job on the interview and she was, she was awesome. Like you said, she was a firecracker. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, who we got up next week? Next week, we've got Riley Sager coming back. And I was trying to figure out what number this is. Is this number three? 
I think. I didn't write that. I think that sounds. I think it's. I think he's been on at least twice. This is yeah. Probably three. So, uh, Riley Sager, New York Times best-selling author of six novels now at this point. His first one was called Final Girls, um, which was published in thirty countries, um, and it won the ITW Thriller Award. He was actually sitting behind me when he got that uh, for best hardcover novel. His latest book, The House Across the Lake, just released in June. So he's going to be on to talk about that. Nice. Well, we're looking forward to having Riley back on. That'll be a good episode. So. But uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode. Have a great week of writing. And most importantly, watch out for those waves. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.